This is Tim Bryan, pastor of Lifeway Apostolic Church, and this is our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. My prayer is that this message will inspire, build your faith, and draw you closer to Jesus Christ. Enjoy this message. Genesis 2, 24. Um, Third verse number 23, I'm sorry. I'm just going to, and Adam said... This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Everybody say man. Verse number 24, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Somebody say amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Now, I understand that this is Father's Day, and perhaps this scripture may not make uh, a significant importance to, uh, to your ears for the moment, but in verse number 24 is the first time that Father is mentioned in scripture. Um, I'm saying this, and I'm not going to get into too deep into this part of the scripture, but I want to establish something here today before we go to another verse. But in this verse, a father was mentioned and established before he was a father. There was no children that was born yet at this time in Scripture, but yet God began to make a commandment that he shall be a father. He said, therefore shall man, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So before a child was ever born, before that man and his wife had conceived and bore a son, and had a son uh, in that family, the Lord said there will be a father, and that father and his mother, and a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. There was as a commandment from God, something to be established. Let's look on in Scripture just for a moment. Let's go back. We're going to kind of do things backwards, and I'm a backwards kind of guy, so we're going to go backwards in Genesis 2, and we're going to visit verse number um, 7. Let's start at verse number 7, and I wanted to establish some things before we really get into uh, the meat of what I wanted to say today, and the Lord God formed man of the what? Have that underlined and highlighted in my Bible, the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I like it when you all read with me. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life also in the midst of the garden. Somebody say garden. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden into the water uh, to water the garden. From thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that it is which compasses the whole land of Hevelah, which are where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good in Bedulam and Onyx Stone. And the name of the second river is Gion. The same is it that compasses the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hedekiel, 
that is it which goeth toward the east of Syria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And so the Lord built this beautiful garden with rivers that would plenish the earth, filled with gold and onyx and beautiful gems and rocks. And he put it eastward in a place that was, uh, every tree was going to grow and it was going to be pleasant in sight and good for food. And he put the tree of life in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He made it a place of great inhabitants. So in verse number 15, and the Lord God took the man. Everybody say, he took the man. And put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. We find that this word, verse number 15, is the very first commandment that we find in Scripture to man. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat freely. In other words, God gave man liberty first. But then verse number 17, But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. First things God did, he gave him a commandment, he took man and put him in the garden. Secondly, he gave him liberty, and then he gave him a place that he could not touch. We find in Scripture here that I find very passionately today, if you, if you will, that the Lord in this Scripture is described in my understanding that the first thing God supplied for man to be in was a garden. He created a place for Adam to dwell. Bible says he called it a garden. He created something, a place of habitants for man. So if I could be so bold to say to the, to the, today that God created a garden that makes him a gardener. That makes him a gardener. And I begin to look up what a definition of a gardener is. It's a person who is employed or has been empowered to cultivate or care for a garden, a lawn perhaps, or any person who gardens or is skillful in gardening. Is anybody here skillful in gardening? You try. Does anybody have a green thumb? Anybody else that has the ability? My wife and I tried to build a garden in Kentucky. I, I spent a time putting stakes in the ground and these, these wooden beams to separate where I mowed and where I was not supposed to mow. I put a border in place and we planted tomatoes and cucumbers and all this stuff and we, uh, we had more food than what we could handle so we ended up giving some of it away and, and retaining some of it. We had, um, I don't know what all we had in there, but she tried uh, watermelon, we tried the cucumbers, the, the tomatoes, we did peppers, uh, bell peppers and all these things we did and it was fun for a while, but after the second year, the kind of the newness wore off. And then it became a place for the kids to play in the dirt. And it was the third year, I believe, I started pulling up the stakes. And, but it was, it was a fun, good experience to learn how to garden properly, how to cultivate a land. We find in Scripture that the Lord planted a garden. And the word planted means to strike, to fix, or to fasten. 
He formed the earth, the plants, the trees, the grass, the dirt, fashioned the flowers, the lilies, the rivers, the streams, the jewels and the metals, the onyx stone, the gold, the rivers that put them in place. He, he formed it all. The days of creation are the actions of a gardener fixing, fastening, and striking and planting things into existence. It is the gardener, which is God, that began to speak things into existence, began to plant things and fix things where they used not to be. When God said, let there be light, he fastened that light in place. When God said, let there be a firmament, it was fixed. When God said, let the waters under the heaven gather together and land appear, he fixed those things in place. It was the gardener's hand making things into existence. Yes, a gardener is also the one, the creator. But in this context of this message here today, I want us to look at God as a gardener today. God called the greater and lesser lights to appear. It was planted in the heavens. It was fixed into the heavens. It was something that was not going to change because the creator and the gardener was at work in the heavens. God called animals to be planted into the sea, in the earth and sky. It was done. And when God got to the sixth day, God pulled out of the earth something that he had planted. He pulled man out of the earth which he had planted. God is a gardener. When God formed the world, there was something that he put in its soil. He placed or planted something during creation. When God made the heavens and the earth, when God began to form the, the, the light and the darkness, when God began to have many things in place, when God began to put the animals in the sea, the animals to fly in the air, and the animals upon the earth. He built all these things, but when he made the dust, he planted something. Planted something that he was going to form just a few days later. So when Genesis chapter number 7, he pulled out of the ground which he planted. He pulled out of the ground man which whom he had planted with his own words. The Lord turned in Genesis 2, 7, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. Before we were formed, we were planted as a seed in the soil or dirt of this world. Before God ever made us and formed us on the top of this world, he planted us in a place that we could grow, that we could be. There is a gardener that is at move in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So before we were formed, we were planted. We find that on the sixth day, God took the seed that was in the earth and formed man, created man in his own image. When God pulled out and formed man with the dust of the ground, it shows us his magnificent gardening skills. Somebody say amen. God planted a garden, and there he put the man whom he had formed in that garden. He pulled and planted, or he pulled out of that earth and pulled and formed a man and put him in a place of a garden. Pastor, this is Father's Day, and you're talking about gardening. But I want to hopefully help you to, in just a few moments. Just as God is a gardener, he expressly commands man 
to become a gardener. Just as God, as the hands of a gardener, is calling on people and men, specifically and fathers, if you will, to become a gardener. Genesis 2.15, and the Lord God took the man, everybody say he took him, and put him into the garden. Now, the Bible doesn't stop there. That's wonderful to be put in a garden place. But the Bible gave man a responsibility. He gave him two chores, if you will, that did not give a... But I'm going to try to help you understand what these are. But God gave, put man and put him in the garden to dress it and to keep it. We find this word dress is to work in any sense possible. To keep that garden, to dress that garden, to serve that garden, to till that garden, to be a bondman to that garden, to in service to that garden, be compelled to, to take hands into that garden and to, to, to compel that ground and to compel what God had given them to grow into something beautiful and fruitful. To dress, it means to execute. It means there will be a laboring man to take care of that garden. It will, it is a, as a command to dress, it means to bring something to pass. It means to serve or set a work to be done. And finally, that word to dress, it means it has to be a worshiper. To dress, it means to take care, to serve, to beautify, to, 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 to execute, to fix, if you will, to establish, to plant, to, to serve, to bring something to pass. And then also all that work to be done, but also be a worshiper of what you're being challenged to, to, to grow in or to create. Men, we are gardeners of our home. What you feed it, how you till it, how you dress it, how you approach it, what you plant in that garden is what you will grow out of that garden. How you dress it is exactly what you will receive. How you execute the words of God, how you bring things to pass in your home, how you serve your home, how you work your home how you set the work to be done in your home, and how you are a worshiper or planting seeds in the garden of your home. Men, we are gardeners. When you feed it, that's what will grow. Matthew 6, verse number 37 and 38. I've referenced this scripture a few times as well. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive and ye shall be forgiven. Somebody say amen. I love that scripture and we can shout for that scripture, but the Bible goes on and says, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure, somebody say the same measure, that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. In other words, if you condemn or if you forgive, whatever you give into your home, whatever you give to the garden that God has given to you, it will be returned to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. 
Many have frustrations in their home. It's because what you give to your home, you're going to get out of that home in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. So I don't know about you today. I better give forgiveness in my home because I want forgiveness returning back to me in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. But if we are not good gardeners of our life and our home, and we bring judgment into the home, we bring condemnation into the home, we bring sin in the home, we bring spirits of this world in the home, we bring Hollywood into the home. We bring things into the home and then we wonder why we have problems. Let me tell you, it's because whatever you bring, it could be sin or it can be forgiveness from God. But whatever you bring into that home, it will be give returned back to you in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. A good gardener would not bring weeds into his garden. A good gardener wouldn't bring ivy into his garden. Why? It's because if you want an ivy garden, you better just plant ivy. Because ivy will overtake anything that's in its path. Fine, you can look this up, but an ivy tree or an ivy vine can take down large 100-foot trees. It's because they will literally choke them out. I have a tree in my backyard that has this ivy tree or something growing in it. And I, we, me and Evan went out to the backyard and it was dying. And I'm, to be honest with you, I'm just tired of running into it when I'm mowing. It's poking me in the head and I have my hat on and I don't look up and wham, I smack my head into the tree branches and it, that the tree is dead and dying. So I took Evan and I said, get out there and get the snips. We're going to do some man work today. Dad, I don't know about this. I said, we're taking this tree down. I got these little clippers. I don't know how to take a tree down clippers. But I was tired. So that tree is bald all the way up to six foot high. It's dead up top, but it's like, it's, it's just a, a <laughs> it's kind of weird looking now, but now I really got to take it down. But what I found, I thought, well, part of the tree is alive, but part of it's dead. But in reality, the closer I got to the tree, and I looked up to the tree, is that the ivy branches went around that tree. And it's the ivy that's flourishing, but the tree that is dying. Be careful what you put in your garden. It may look alive. It may look great. It may look good for food. But it will choke out your garden. That's why people put fences around their gardens. Because they're trying to take care and dressing their garden. They're putting effort into their garden. Many of us will put effort into the home. Men will pray for our home. We'll, 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 we'll stand in a gap in the altar in our home, but we go home and we fail to put a fence around our garden. We fail to put a, a, a barrier around our garden. We fail to, to really protect the garden. We, we expect that, that God will take care of all things, but it's up to us. God has given us the ability to garden what he has given us. So therefore, we need to put things in place to keep that garden, to dress that garden. To dress a garden takes labor. It takes execution. It takes a bondman experience. It takes somebody that is willing to work. It has taken somebody that is willing to worship. It takes somebody that is willing to serve and get the work done. Men. We need to be better gardeners of our home. Next thing that God's commandment was to be was to dress it. 
to keep it and to dress it. To keep it uh, is, to, uh, is to, take a, uh, take a hedge about. Or to dress it is that love and that kindness, that nurture, that correction, instruction, discipline. When it is all done, then it will be returned unto you in the same which you gave. But to keep it is to put a hedge about as of thorns will protect a garden. To guard is to keep it. To protect is to keep it. To attend is to keep it. To take heed to yourself is to keep it. In other words, if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of your garden. Definition, to keep it also means to look narrowly. In other words, to be focused. Too many men are focused on too too many things. And what it is God has called us to be is to be the gardener and stay focused. Stay narrow-minded. Keep your eyes upon the prize. Keep building your home to a place that it will be fruitful, that will be fruitful in the kingdom of God. Stay focused. Stay observant. Stay on guard. I find it very interesting, and it's more easy for me. I understand, perhaps, that I am a a stay-at-home pastor. (laughs) I have an office in the home. My kids are at home. I homeschool our kids. And it's easy sometimes for me to see things that will try to infiltrate the garden. And I understand because I'm with my kids um, a lot. A lot. I am getting them and teaching them, and I'm trying to teach my kids certain things. And my son is 12 years of age, and and, uh, I told him the other day, I said, son, I'm going to start teaching you some things in the home because I need you to help me till the garden of the home. We helped the tree, and then I went out, I said, son, do you know what this is? He said, well, that's a compressor. And I said, yeah. And uh, we did the tree thing, and I took him in the garage, and I said, this is a compressor. I said, what does dad use that compressor for? He said, well, you air up tires, you do this, you do that. He said, you've cut things with it when you get your saw and the nail gun. And and I said, okay, it's time for you to learn how to help tend to the garden of the home. He said, dad, I don't know if I want to do that. What's time? So I said, you're going to help me check the tires on the car, and I'm going to show you how to do it, and then you're going to do it. And he said, okay, and he helped plug it in. He started the compressor. I showed him where the buttons were, and we went over to the car, and I said, first thing, before you put air in a tire, you need to make sure there is air in the tire and where it's at. So we have a gauge here, and I showed him the gauge and showed him how to put it in and, and measure the tire pressure. And then I said, showed him how to use the compressor and put that on and air up the tires and, and, and then check it afterwards. And, and I said, now when you see the tires low in the house, you're going to help me garden the cars. That's what kind of instruction God is looking for men to step up and say, I want to help you, but I want to help, I want to extend uh, some, some authority to you to help me tend to that garden. Men, we cannot be afraid to teach the next generation. Just as God put us in the garden to till it and submit to us the authority over that garden, men, we need to take that same authority that God has given to us and start sp- putting spiritual stakes into our garden and start training the next generation to till and prepare and dress and keep that garden. We need to be focused on the job that is at hand. Men, it is our responsibility to keep our life right before the Lord so that we can remain focused and diligent, so that we can be a watchman for the Lord 
in the garden that God has given to us. The Bible teaches us what men should be when it comes to addressing and dressing and keeping that garden. To work. To be courageous, Joshua 1.9 says. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So I admonish the men here today. Be of good courage and be courageous when it comes to tilling your garden and keeping and dressing the garden that has set before you. Be strong. Be watchful, 1 Corinthians 16. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. That's what the Bible says. It says act like men. Don't be going around acting like woe is me and act like you, you, you're... Come on, we need to act like men. Can I just say that today? We need to have a boldness about us and a confidence about us. Be strong, be watchful, stand firm in the faith and act like men. To love, as Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like that you shall love, love your neighbor as your Self. Genesis 2.24, we read it already. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God's commandment to the men is be the husband that he has designed you to be. He is to be the head of the house, the head of his wife. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also why? should submit in everything to their husband. That does not mean that I rule my home with an iron fist, but I am serving a God, and I'm serving a family, and I'm here to protect and to keep and to pursue the holiness in my home, righteousness in my home, and leading the family to be what God wants them to be in these last days. Men are supposed to serve sacrificially. The Bible says, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave herself up for her. John 15 and 13 says, greater love hath no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And, and another thing that the, God has called us to be is be a good father. The father of righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I've seen, and it very concerns me greatly, to watch men provoke their kids to anger. That's this, that, that, that concerns me. Is because if you provoke your children to anger, and that means you're probably angry yourself, and you provoke your children to anger, then what's the next generation going to look like when it comes to the presence of God? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instructions of the Lord. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Hebrews 12, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? There is a difference between discipline and getting them angry. If you teach a child why and understanding of what, why they're doing it, they're being a part of, of that garden, then you're probably going to get less resistance from them. Likewise, husbands, 
We need to be compassionate. Live with your wives in an understanding way. All the wives say amen. Showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 5, 8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Men, it's time to rise up and take hold of the tools to begin to till, to begin to work the, God, the garden that God has planted for us. 1 Corinthians 11 and 3, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. We need to have accountability in our homes. Accountability in our life. Men, if you are the head of your home and you think you got all the answers, I'm here to tell you, you don't have all the answers. You need to be accountable to God and to another man. I don't have all the answers as a pastor, so I'm accountable to another pastor, and I'm accountable to God. We have to have accountability in our life, men. Proverbs 20 and verse number 7. The last thing that I will say as a man, we need to be honorable. The righteous who walks in integrity, blessed are his children after him. Teach your children to walk in integrity, to be honest. To not be afraid of telling the truth. To be honest in all things. When you work, do work with integrity. Establish things that are right in your home. And do not be uh, upset or embarrassed when you don't get it right. I remember it was about a few months ago and I got something wrong. So I sat my kids down and I apologized to my kids. I said, Ellie in heaven, I'm sorry. Dad had a bad attitude and I'm sorry I acted that way I should not you should not have seen that and I want to let you know that behavior is wrong and that behavior is right but I'm thankful that God forgives me and I hope you will forgive me too and Ellie and Evan kind of laughed at me and said dad it's all right but no I said I want you to understand something certain behaviors are not acceptable and daddy falls short sometimes too. And I get upset. And I, I, I'll say things perhaps I, I shouldn't have said in the wrong time, in the wrong place. And I want you to forgive me for that. And they, they forgave me and they kind of laughed about it. But I want them to understand there are certain behaviors in this garden that God has given to me that are unacceptable. And when they're unacceptable, there's a place that you can open up and say, please forgive me. Acknowledgement. Men, we cannot be so prideful that we think we have done nothing wrong. But we need to be humble enough to say, forgive me. I have asked my wife for forgiveness more times than I can count. After 24 years of marriage and two years of being, uh, two, one year of being engaged and another year of dating, we've been together for 26 years. I've asked for apologies time and time again, asked for forgiveness. I, I don't get it right all the time, but I'm thankful I have a wife that says, I forgive you. And I'm thankful I have a God that says, I too shall forgive. That means it creates a healthy home of dialogue. To say, you know what, I messed up this time. So it's important to understand, men, that we need to live honorably. Somebody say amen. Come to a close. The musician would come. The story 
of a young man with a teacher. He arranged, young man, he said, he arranged for me to meet him in one of the school's gardens of fruit trees. I found him there wearing a large straw hat for shade and working the soil with farming implement, with, with a farming implement. He laid down the implement, sat down on one of the garden's low stone walls and motioned for me to join him. He said, so I did. And in the beginning, said the teacher, God created man in his own image. He said, and where was man? In the garden. He said, and what was man? He waited for a response, but I couldn't think of any. That he was a gardener. God placed the man in Eden to till and keep the garden. So man was a gardener. So what would that mean? Again, I didn't know how to answer the question. Man, said the teacher, we created, man, said the teacher, was created in the image of God. And man was created specifically to be a gardener. Therefore, God is a gardener. Yes? But how, I asked, what's his garden? As the creation is his garden, he keeps it, he tends it. He sows into it his seed. He sows into the creation his word and into his garden his life that it might bear its fruit. But the garden did not bear its fruit. Meaning, I said the creation never brought forth the life it was meant to bear. I said, yes, so the gardener came into the garden that the garden might bear its fruit. God came into his creation that the creation might bring forth life. And when the creation bore the first, fru the first fruits of a new life, when he first appeared outside the tomb, in what form did he appear? What was he mistaken for in Luke or in John? What was he mistaken for? He was mistaken for a gardener. What kind of tomb was it that bore the first fruits? A garden tomb. He's the gardener. And we are his garden. So let the gardener come into your garden today. And let him till the soil of your life. And let him sow the proper seed and bring forth its new life in you. For every garden that is touched by the gardener will bear the fruit in which it was meant to bear. I can try to till all I want, but until I allow the hands of the gardener from heaven to reach down into my life, I will never bear the proper fruit that is meant to, to, be, to be born in me. That teacher, this rabbi, was teaching this young man that you can do all the things in this life, but ultimately it takes the creator, the great gardener, to come down into your life, and then it truly can be fruitful. I see men trying to handle their households with their own wisdom, 
with their own understanding and it's unfruitful it's unfruitful it's it, it's not working there's certain things that may you try to protect it you try to keep it but in reality we need the great gardener to come down so we can really be fruitful in our life when's the last time that you looked unto the Lord and said God I need your hand at work in my life, not just my own. I, I, I need you tilling. I, I, I'm trying to keep it the best I can. I'm trying to dress it as much as I can. I'm trying to be strong. I'm trying to be courageous. I'm trying to serve. I'm trying to be the best father I can be. But I've come to my wit's end. I've come to a place that, that I don't know what else to do. That's when we invite the gardener to come back down and put his hands to the plow and begin to help us weed out and begin to point out that shouldn't be here that shouldn't be there that fruit is going to die if you don't do this here God can begin to become that gardener in our life once again can we stand in this room right now thank you for listening to today's message if you like what you've heard please subscribe, rate and review this podcast if you would like to know more information about our church, please check us out on Facebook at Lifeway Apostolic Church. May God richly bless you.